I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to look back on Friday's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course. On WrestleCulture, as I said, though, joined by Michael Cedric, Michael Hamlet, enjoying a well-earned day off today. And Cedric, we're here to talk about AEW Dynamite from late last week, a show that felt like AEW had sort of rediscovered their form a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think this episode of Dynamite like was measured perfectly, and what I mean by that is they didn't want to exhaust their big matches. They didn't want to kickstart any hot new angles with the idea being that, look, like no one relatively, comparatively, is going to be watching these Friday shows. They struck the balance of, right, let's not give away loads of our stuff, but let's not piss off the the, the hardcore loyalists who are, you know, keeping all of this afloat until we go back on the road and back on um, Wednesdays at 8 yeah, I thought they measured this perfectly and I tremendously enjoyed this one. Without it being a blow-away episode, it was like one of the best 7.5 episodes of wrestling TV that I can remember. Yeah, bringing the notes together for this today. I watched this late yesterday um, and I was making my notes and I was like, oh yeah, that happened and that happened and that happened. And it was, it was yeah, really nice to look back on and be like, yeah, they did cram a lot of stuff in without, like you say, giving too much away for the uneducated including myself even though i probably should have done the research am i right in thinking we have another friday night dynamite this week then a saturday night dynamite and then is it back to normal let me double check because i'm second guessing myself here Mm. i think i say very slowly as i type slowly (laughs) into google that we indeed do have yep here we go I've picked the worst picture of the frigging calendar. Here's a better one. Oh, the writing's tiny. What what month are we in June? (laughs) Yes. Is it the 14th of June? Yes. So looking at this, we have got Friday Night Dynamite on the 18th. Then we've got Saturday Night Dynamite on the 26th. And then we... I don't know what happens the week before they go back on the road on July 7th in South Mm. Beach, Miami. 
I don't know if it's on Friday the 2nd or Wednesday the 30th. So apologies for that. I do know, however, that it's going to be taped, I think, from dailies. Mm. I went on Ticketmaster because I've got an interest in how the, the tickets are doing and there's no live taping um, scheduled between um, Saturday Night Dynamite and South Beach. So I'm assuming they're going to yeah. tape one just a day. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, let's talk about this show. Uh, it opened... Well, actually, open before before we get to Christian Kejuris and how it got opened with the pinnacle arriving in a limo. More on that later. As soon as I saw that, I thought that's ominous. And uh, well, yeah, it proved out to be. Uh, yeah, and as I said, we uh, opened the show with Christian Kejuris and Halico, Matt Hardy cutting a promo beforehand, uh, saying Christian's always been jealous of him. Now he's jealous of him and how much money he's made. He would never financially recover from this, and he'd sent on Halico his business associate out there to injure Christian, basically. And I thought this was a really enjoyable opener. Um, and Helico is uh, uh, someone who's, who's worked with him in WCPW and seen him up close, is a sensational uh, technical submission-based wrestler. And, and he executed that early on. He got the better of the chain wrestling with Christian, uh, tweaking his arm and what have you, targeted the, the, the sort of left arm, left shoulder of Christian throughout this match. Uh, and when he did get the better of Christian, uh, Christian just slapped him in the face and then beat him down in the corner of the old 10 counts. But yeah, as I said, uh, Angelico targeting that left side of Christian. Um, at one point, Angelico sent Christian to the floor. Jack Evans, Angelico's partner, tried to get involved, but Christian scared him away and then just hit a neck, neck breaker over the ropes and a diving headbutt for a two count. As Christian's uh, getting involved, uh, going up top, Angelico grabs Christian's arm, takes him down with it, but then as he's going for a dive, Christian counters with an up kick, cradles him for a great little two count. Uh, and Angelico gets a two count of himself off the back of that kick and a jackknife pin. But in the end, Christian avoids an attack in the corner from Angelico. Pendulum kick, diving uppercut, kill switch, staring directly at Matt Hardy. Gets Christian the victory, but immediately afterwards, in comes Jack Evans. Uh, he tries to attack. Christian gets the better of him, but the numbers catch up to him at that point. And Matt Hardy comes in uh, to hit a twist of fate whilst he's setting up for a second twist of fate on a clearly KO'd Christian who should run out to make the save but one jungle boy a lot to get through there but what did you make of the open message? I enjoyed it which is surprising look I don't it's hard to articulate or explain this but I don't know whether it's just fatigue of watching so much good pro wrestling over the years but for me and I think Hamlet as well and maybe a few others I've reached a point now where like clearly very good professional wrestling to me isn't always enjoyable professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, I think just because the, the standard is so obscenely good across the board that if I'm not emotionally invested or like blown away, then I just find it quite difficult to just get into a really good wrestling match. This was different. Um, you're not likely to see, it sounds like an oxymoron this, and it is, you're not likely to see a more clever use of the diving headbutt, right? Because it is a dumb, dumb move, particularly, particularly when it's executed by someone of Christian Cage's age, his vaunted wrestling mind, and the reason why he was retired in exile from the ring for seven years. So it was odd to see Christian, of all people, do this move that 
it's very innovator has said, Jesus Christ, I regret doing that. Really regret doing that. We know the old purveyors of the diving headbutt. I don't want to talk about Chris Benoit and Dynamite Kid, but we kind of know what impact that move had on their lives. Um, so it's become kind of, it's even worse than the chair shot for me. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, Christ, don't do that. Daniel Bryan as well. And yet the fact that on this one occasion, virtually everything in pro wrestling is okay in moderation. But the mere fact that he's willing to do that to Angelico was a really ironically astute story beat because the idea was, I think, or at least I took from it, was that he needed to do something at great cost or risk to himself to get over the idea that this guy really needs to be put away mm. and I'm going to have to risk like my head to do this. So I really enjoyed that spot as viscerally unsettling as it is in the story of the match and how to get someone over in defeat. Christian's a magnificent counter-wrestler. There are a few better at reversals encounters, um, and he was on great form in that regard. And this was just in general a nice, refreshing match of the sort that you've not really seen in AEW for its two-year history. Hmm. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that. Um, what do you think of the post-match and, and where this is heading? It's redundant and it isn't. We didn't advance anything that wasn't already established last week. I say quite often AEW Dynamite is sometimes episodic to a fault. You don't have to shoot an angle every single time. You could simply deviate from what's becoming a bit of a ugh, boring pattern by having Christian Cage simply celebrate the win. Just have this win register as something good that somebody did. And then later in the broadcast, you can cut the Matt Hardy for all of 20 to 30 seconds and say, yep, a good win, but you know, Angelico, half-decent mercenary, I'm glad that he gave you a challenge. It's going to be all the easier when I beat you. But no, they have to do the exact same angle they did last week, and it gets a bit redundant. I will give this a pass because they're not just building Page versus Hardy. What I see happening is Page versus uh, Christian Cage, Jesus Christ. Christian Cage versus Matt Hardy will happen in parallel with or just weak either side of Jungle Boy versus Kenny Omega, mm-hmm. the losers of that match, presumably, Matt Hardy and Jungle Boy will then have a singles match. And it's all sort of being built now so that presumably you'll have a deeper investment because of the longer build. I don't think it's electrifying. It's quite functional, but I like how they are... I'm not going to use the word. I'll use the other word. They're dovetailing these. It's not particularly deft, but, you know, they are building something on top of something, and that's always good theoretically. Yeah, there's the effort being put in longer term in terms of rather than just being like, oh, it's official, we're going to have, you know, it felt like you throw a dartboard at the roster page to book a match when these two do effectively face off, like you say. They will have some history there to to take from. Uh, briefly mentioned it in the intro, but uh, it was announced that the four first shows on the road, they're all going to be specials. Um, 7th of July, 14th, 21st and 28th of July. Uh, you've got Road Rager in Miami, Florida, Fight Fest Night 1, Austin, Texas, Fight Fest Night 2 in Dallas, Texas the week after, and Fight for the Fallen in Charlotte, North Carolina on the 28th of July. Basically shaking up, should be a great month that. And then, of course, Rampage heads our way in 
August. Right, Cody Rhodes had a special announcement, uh, as we knew, going into AEW Dynamite. And, well, uh, Tony Schiavone kind of stole his thunder, if I'm perfectly honest, because he made the announcement uh, that Cody was going to come out and he was bringing with him not only Arn Anderson, of course, but Brock, the son of Arn Anderson, who's going to be making his debut next week in a tag team match. It will be Cody and Brock Anderson uh, against QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. Out came Cody. He cut a promo. He said, Brock's going to steal home base and hit a home run. It's a tough standards that dads have for us. But if anyone can do it, Brock can. He wants revenge for himself, considering last week, of course, he was beaten by Anthony Agogo. QT Marshall comes out and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did I just hear that right? You said you got beaten by Anthony Agogo. I'm the one who pinned you last week, mate, uh, all by myself, just like I've come out of here all by myself. I've had enough, Cody, of you and your nepotism and your passion projects. When we go back on the road, I want to see a full house to here to see me whoop your ass. And when I say whoop your ass, I mean it literally. He's proposed a South Beach strap match. Cody whips off his belt and says, why don't you do the match now? QT Marshall dodges out of the way. But then uh, when everyone turns their back, whips his belt off and comes in and nails on in the back. Brock jumps him with a nice thirst press, beats him down. Officials have to come down and separate them. Exciting announcement and a decent build. Yeah, I, I just like the details to put into things. Just the belt stuff. <laughs> just like the belt stuff, how to build a match. It's like it's not one of those things where the the upcoming titular weapon in a match suddenly materializes oh hang on i found a ladder under the ring well just as well having a ladder match because this is an effective way to convey to the fans at home well we're gonna have a ladder match it just makes me feel like they think i'm thick and of course i'm referring to wwe when i do this with michael cole in the background going you know to win the ladder match you actually have to erect it You can't just place it on its side and jump really high. You actually have to erect the ladder, climb up the ladder, and retrieve what's on the top. I hate that, bollocks. This is really quite a nice way of telling people, you know, you can get a strap match, and this is the kind of thing you're going to see in it. Just, I really enjoyed that level of detail. Um, It was good that they shot a physical angle to build to the tag match, because I thought... um, Young Brock Anderson, who doesn't look particularly young, but that's part of the appeal that's going to happen, I'm sure. He looked a bit shaky, if I'm being honest, yeah. during this moment of physicality. I've got no doubt they're not putting him on TV because he's going to be that shaky in the match. I just think it was first time on telly jitters. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, like, the fact that it's taped means there'll be a little bit less pressure on. It's a good time to debut a guy who's going to be green. But, yeah wasn't that impressed with his presence or his physicality in this segment, but best to do that and get him on telly and get him in front of those red lights um, before he actually has the match. So yeah, I enjoy all this and a bit of a recovery from a storyline that I've not really been interested in. It's a new dimension. I like the details of the storytelling. It proves following last week's attempted make good, I guess I would describe as it proves that they are still like thinking and not just churning out stuff. Plus, it makes me think of, which means I get to go back and enjoy it all over again. And you could probably actually uh, pay homage to it in this, in the build, maybe, like you say, with the belt stuff ahead of the strep stuff. If, you know, Cody gets isolated and the, uh, what are they called now? The factory, uh, get him and hold him up Christ-like and QT Marshall takes his belt off. 
and just it's just about to go and just nail him before before the match the next week or whatever it may be. Anthony Gogo puts his hand across him and does the old give me the, the old Wardlow. Yeah, the old Wardlow. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. It's been long enough now. I can go and go back and enjoy MJF whipping him all over again. I mean, that was quality, but it's funny you mentioned a Google because QT was very quick to write off his um, influence over last week's tag or two weeks ago's tag at this point. Maybe, just maybe, that's the first little seed for an Google baby first in. It's clearly the best role for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, what a bloke. Oh. Um, I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed, maybe one of the reasons why I enjoyed this Dynamite even more is because because I was watching it over the weekend Uh I could fully appreciate the matches a bit more because, you know, we're, half the time we're watching it bleary-eyed at like 5 a.m. on a Thursday morning. So I sat there, I put my feet up and I put on Eddie Kingston, Pack and Penta versus the Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler. And just when I thought you couldn't become any more of a knobhead, you do something like this. Man, Nick Jackson, and totally redeem yourselves. <laughs> Just, I mean, big, big dickhead energy is the best way of putting it. I could just really appreciate that of being actually awake of them doing bloody macho man Randy Savage or just the, just the pout, just the, as I'm walking around the ring. And come on, Brandon Cutler, don't have this up. Get in there. Go on, we'll flip you over the top rope to get him. Anyway, prior to the match, actually, I should mention there was a, a great little promo where Kingston's like, hey, the enemy, enemy of my enemy is my friend. And he's like, there is Penner. He's like, that's right, isn't it, Penner? And Penner's is still a bit like, mm. and he's like, ready, Pack? And Pack just looked at him and went, and then just walked out. That was it, basically. Uh, but yeah, they uh, they got it together eventually, I, I suppose. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Yeah, quite early on uh, after uh, they were... Pack was was taking out Matt and Nick Jackson. They force Brandon Cutler to come in. He doesn't want to come in. He's happy just sitting on the outside with his little tracksuit on and his, his face guard and what have you. Yeah, they flipped him over the top rope via the ropes. Um, Pack batters him, goes over to the corner. Kingston wants in, but Pack negs him, tags in Penta. Diving stomp to the arse is the only way of putting it, followed by him ripping open the tracksuit and... Uh, ending his chest going full Adam Cleary post the Royal Rumble in his chest. Um, eventually though, Kingston did tag him. He murdered Cutler as well. Vertical suplex, elbow drop, um, pack blind tags himself in. There's a little moment there with him and Eddie Kingston. And uh, he batters Cutler and then says, why don't one of you come into the books? Matt does immediately taken out hip, to- hip toss, drop kick, Nick, stumbles entering the ring but I just managed to trip up pack which all just sort of added to it all it was just I, I can't take my eyes off them um anyway the uh young books take control as they as we go into the break and come back with them still in control of course um eventually fire up Kingston gets in sends uh Matt flying with a belly to belly takes out Nick with an exploder Penta comes in diving crossbody on both of them uh, Cutler's grabbed him double soup kicks coming his way but Penny gets out of the way of course and Cutler gets hit with it Pack hits the 450 splash on Matt uh, transitions into the brutalizer looks like he can get a submission but Nick Jackson's there to break it off uh, Kingston cuts him off 
Uh, he and Pack hit stereo dives to the outside. That lovely you moment. Uh, but Pack gets rolled up by Matt Jackson. You think, oh no, not like this. Big old handful of tights. Great near fall. Two count on that. Cutler tags in. Goes for a spin. Broad leg drops. Eats. And uh, Kingston hits him with a spinning back fist, allowing Pack to finish him off and pin him for the victory. Uh, another jump after the match, though. Bucks attacking, joined by the Good Brothers, but out comes the elite hunter himself, Frankie Kazarian, who just nails Cutler with a lariat to finish off this segment. Oh, I hate that I love the Young Bucks, or love to hate the Young Bucks so much, but I just do. What did you make of this uh, six-man? There have probably been quote-unquote better trios matches on Dynamite this year. In fact, they've done several, like four and a quarter, four and a half star bangers in that genre but I think I might have enjoyed this one the most mm. like here's the thing people can't search Roman Reigns on like an audio podcast feed and quote tweet this into oblivion like dickheads so I'm virtually free to say it people talk about this Roman Reigns Uso storyline it's like, the best storyline in wrestling this it's absolutely the best storyline in pro wrestling I don't think it's bad necessarily but I don't See, it's like a pro wrestling storyline. There's just a lot of talking, the same sort of formula virtually every single week, the same format. Like, this was fantastic pro wrestling storytelling through the medium of pro wrestling in a mm. pro wrestling goddamn match without any talking. And funny enough, I got the story <laughs> because that's what pro wrestling storytelling is. You use physicality to tell it. My goodness, what I loved about this match without it being one of these absolute brain-melting, cocaine, fiend-starring bangers, is that, like, you could just feel all the effort and the love and the craft and the the intelligence that went behind it. So it was comedy, pure comedy of points, but nothing that detracted from the fact that it was a serious match. Mm. They, with these wonderful sequences and how they were structured and built... They found every excuse to kick Brandon Cutler in the face. <laughs> like there was so many spots where he just got booted in the face. And again, it was all building and building in the excitement. And he got like loads of laughs along the way. Mm. I loved every little excuse. They were going to have kicked him in the face enough. No, no, let's do another one. You could feel the gears of their like pro wrestling minds and how much they love this whirring to try and make this the most entertainment and entertaining and productive trios match that could. Obviously, that wasn't the lead. The lead was Eddie Kingston and Pac slowly aligning together through performing moves, saving one another, doing moves in stereo to mirror the fact that they're on the same wavelength. I thought this was like a stunning little look at the process and a celebration of the output of that process. The stereo dive was great. Like mm. Kingston's not being as good as Pac well, was as good because it wasn't as good technically, but it was endearing that he decided to take the risk alongside him. Like, this is just lush. Like, I just loved watching this match, even yeah. if it wasn't like quote unquote brilliant, great, whatever. I don't, I don't, know, what like, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's akin to like uh, if I was on a rooftop with some a professional parkour doing guy and he was like, right, we're going to jump off this. And he'd take this big, take these a certain amount of steps back to get his run up right. Pack runs back and hits the ropes. And Eddie Kingston just goes bollocks to it and just runs from where he stood to die through the ropes. Doesn't get the, you know, the bounds off the ropes, doesn't get a big run up. But yeah, exactly. It was, it was a great story told throughout and just, yeah. 
I love watching the young books get their heads kicked in, obviously, but I also do love it when they're in control and they're going, oh, are you trying to tell your partner? <laughs> and things like that. It's just, it's it's the perfect, it's the perfect temperature to boil piss in the right way. So there you go. And what else I loved, sorry, just one more thing before this podcast completely overruns, is that so far, Pack has been very much presented as a tweener mercenary who only mm. cares about championships. And he's got mates in Death Triangle, but he doesn't have any like overt, crowd-pleasing, baby-faced characteristics. Uh, I got a little glimpse of the fact that he can be funny. He's meant mm. to be menacing, so like you should not really detract too much from that. But the young books pose that. Pack he did the flex. It. I, was, I forgot. I almost forgot to mention. Pissed, pissed myself laughing at that. Face. His face is great in that. It's a very good face. Yeah. It's often just mean mugging that he does. So, yeah, credit to him for that. I thought that was great. I've almost forgot to mention it. Um, right. Then we got the conspiracy video from Kenny <laughs> Omega and Don Callis. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll roll that all into one when we get the uh, to Kenny Omega Don Callis interview segment as well. Because, well, yeah, the, the documentary, in case you missed it, was complete, complete fiction. Uh, it was uh, subtitles of them saying people were people either chanting or the referee or Don Callis saying things clearly against everything that happened uh, with regards to the triple threat, double or nothing. But we'll talk about that a little bit later because the, uh, after that, we got the pinnacle responding to the inner circle and their challenges from last week. And everyone got a turn here. Uh, we started off with uh, Dax Harwood. Uh, he said that uh, the same stampede didn't go the way they wanted. He talked about Santana Ortiz saying, look, you and I, or you two and us two, we aren't that different. We both overcame adversity. We both made something of ourselves, but you two have lost your edge. I've got a wife and kid and I use my edge to fill up my bank account. Cash says, I don't have a family and I don't give a <coughs> about yours. Great line. Um, we're working together to build our legacy and you're just happy. You two are happy being a footnote in someone else's. Uh, Sean Spears says Sammy Guevara got lucky. He's furious about Jericho calling him a, quote, hero last week. He's nothing more than a glorified indie wrestler. Uh, the pinnacle of professional. Spears is the hero. I love Wardlow. I just love Wardlow anyway, but I love this promo. He said, what's wrong, Jay? You, you're obsessed with me a bit. Like, I always bring out the best in you. He said, I know you've invited me because they're going to fight in a in a cage, effectively. Uh, I know you've invited me to your comfort zone because you can never beat me in a wrestling ring. But no matter where you are, you are always in Wardlow's world. And he accepts Hager's challenge. MJF's hanging at the back here. They've all been chomping at the bit to get it. And he's he's not. He's just kind of kind of sad because he's tired of acting like he's got something to prove when he's already the best. Being the best is daunting. It brings pressure. And... Yeah, it's what, that's what happened effectively at Double or Nothing. Look, he talked about growing up, idolising Jericho, watching every promo, reading every book, being there at that rally in 2019. Uh, and he walked past Chris Jericho, saw him, you know, marching out to cut his, uh, cut his promo about the launch of AEW. And he said his heart was beating a million miles a minute. He had the opportunity to work with Jericho. This shouldn't have been a dream come true, but it wasn't. And it haunted him. Why was that? Until one day it hit him. He'd been idolizing a false god. He thought he'd be like Jericho, but even Jericho is not on his level. He's already beaten him twice. So guess what, Chris? That match request is denied. Uh, and then he turns about, turns to talk about Sammy Guevara. He calls him a chicken. Sh he says he cut promos like Helen Keller. 
Uh, and he says Guevara doesn't belong in a ring with MJF because he's better than him and he knows it. In the midst of all this, Chris Jericho pops up on the Tron, gets the uh, Pinnacle's attention. He says, look, you know what happens now? He's got the bat in his hand. You know what happens when you don't give us what we want? But I suppose that's that now. You guys can talk it over while you're walking home. The camera pans out and reveals he stood on and, and the rest of them are stood on or next to uh, the Pinnacle's limo. They batter it. They spray paint it. They smash in all the windows. They doing all the paintwork. Uh, and just, uh, they slash the tyres. Uh, Santana and Ortiz stab it with pocket knives. And just when you think, okay, well, it's still good. Still get it fixed. I mean, you're, you're driving on flats and, you know, you need a good paint job and you have to get those dents out. Yeah, there's Jake Hager, who's having the best time of his life in sunglasses at night on a forklift. He rams it through the side. He lifts the limo up uh, and uh, they revel in this moment. The commentators talk about what a momentous occasion this is. And Sammy Guevara says, I am JF. I'll fight you any day of the week. And they all ride off, flipping the bird, ride off on the forklift. This was a, a classic uh, moment on AEW Dynamite. The destruction of the Pinnacles limo. Thoughts on the promo and uh, and the fallout from the forklift attack, shall we say? The only thing I liked about everything after the promo was the forklift. Yeah. It kind of saved it for me. But again, like, can I just enjoy the Pinnacle for a week? I'm starting to get totally with Hamlet here. It's almost, it stings all the more when you see the Pinnacle do an awesome promo, after which you're reminded that at its core, this has got potential to be a complete main event act. Can they not just, like, luxuriate in how much of a gang of dickheads they are for, like, 10 minutes or a week, hopefully? Um, every step of the way... I understand there's got to be a balance. But every step of the way, Chris Jericho's doing an attitude era tribute act. And it's it's weird. He's becoming a product of his environment, but in a not particularly good way. I can't remember who said this on Twitter, right? I think it might be a fella who goes by the name of Trevor Dame. And he said, what's awesome about Le Champion, or what was awesome about Le Champion in just that wonderful title reign was that this feels like the Chris Jericho that was in WCW and never went to WWE. Mm. And it's just, this is the evolution of his WCW character. I thought that was a fantastic take. And to build on that take, it now feels like this babyface version of Chris Jericho, and this is my take, this babyface version of Chris Jericho is like the guy who is the product of not WCW, but the Attitude Era. Mm. He's doing Austin stuff to or DX stuff to get over as a baby face. And it's just not connecting with me at all. Uh, the good news is that the Pinnacle promo did in fact rule Helen Keller. I love black comedy, right? And black and um, Helen Keller is like the 12 Bobloos of like doing black comedy. It's just like a foundational part of like to do it. It's shocking, but you know, if you deliver the line well enough, it is funny. I'm sorry. That was good. I was more into MGF building the match with Guevara than the match with Jericho. And I think that says it all at that stage. Another world-class promo from him. But realistically, I think this is the pinnacle show, not just the MGF show. Wardlow, this is the most assured. It's obviously one of the most times he's ever spoken, but he was so assured. This is the first time in a while 
he's felt less like an extra and more like a player again. Yeah. Um, Spears, some of his stuff is like corner adjacent, but it works with him. Like it really does. Um, FTR with fire. Christ, I sound like I'm trying to be 20. <laughs> FTR were, however, very, very good. And yet there's Jericho doing some sub attitude era segments. I remember before I before we move on to the next thing, um, Cody spoke to me when he was building his match with Dustin Rhodes. At the time, AEW wasn't a thing because they were he was building his first match on the first AEW show with a promo. And the content game and writing about it and the discourse about pro wrestling for so long was, I remember the attitude era. Remember the goddamn attitude era. You have to you have to relive it because everything else is so boring and forgettable. Wasn't that attitude era good? Yes, let's talk about that. Let's write content about that. Let's consume content about that. And Cody building them up building that match with Dustin Rhodes. And this is so clever because he was trying to say that this is a new era of pro wrestling. We don't have to relive that stuff anymore. And Dustin Rhodes embodied it, having starred throughout the Attitude Era. It's like, he is the emblem of, of the Attitude Era. And it's unfortunate for him that I'm just going to have to put a bullet, a bold gun in the temple of the sacred cow. That is the Attitude Era. <laughs> because I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick of it. I'm sick of it. This is hot. This is new. We finally got a new, hot, interesting thing to talk about. Fast forward to two years, and they're doing Attitude Era-loving trope segments, and I'm just, mm. I can't be asked. Like, if I never have to watch another Attitude Era segment again, I'll be more than happy. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we got another response following uh, following this segment with the pinnacle in the inner circle. It was, uh, this time it was Darby Allen and Sting's time to respond to the challenge laid down by Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. You said, we'll face anyone in a tag team match uh, that you want to pick as your partner, Darby, except Sting. And, well, Darby Allen said he decided he didn't want another partner. Uh, he wasn't going to replace Sting next week. He actively wants himself a handicap match. He has this back and forth with Sting telling him, look, I love you, I respect you, but stay home next week. And I said, I'm not stupid. Sting was worried about him. I want to be able to prove that I can beat these guys. Sting said, Alan's got nothing to prove. But Alan reiterated to him, stay home. And Sting said he would, and they bumped fists. Interesting decision 
by Darby Allen, but we all we all sort of guessed this may be the direction they're going to be going in. We didn't. Michael Hamlet said Orange Cassidy, and I said it's going to be a handicap match. Well, yeah. So I predicted that. God damn it. Um, no, it's the sensible thing to do. It's very consistent with Darby Allen's character. Darby Allen is so great at playing the fiery underdog, like withstanding so much damage that realistically he's he makes a not great stipulation that's never drawn money, but he he's going to make it very urgent and very dramatic and very perilous. My thought is whether Sting does turn up because he can't help yeah, I himself. Get that. I got that sort of like, oh yeah, I won't be there. You sure? Yeah, I'm just going to turn off by my friends on my iPhone, though, just for a completely other reason for it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about that plot development. I think at this point, the Sting Darby Allen thing might have served its purpose. As much as we want the match of the books, I can't really see it happening. Um, it would be a really nice subversion of everything that ever happened to Sting in his career and a nice sort of spin on the fact that you don't have to do every trope, AEW, if they, and the seed might have been planted here for this, if they just decided in the end to have Sting and Darby Allen split up amicably, mm. and Sting can act as a mentor to somebody else. Who knows? That was certainly the impression I thought was teased. Mm. I want to skip ahead now because I want to talk about the promo that Scorpio Scarni and Paige got in response. Because they were just so happy with this decision. We gave you an opportunity. You didn't take it. This is the dumbest decision you've ever made. And look at what you've done in the past. Look at the ground that covers, in the words of one Michael Sidgwick. Um, Paige said, look, actions have got consequences. We've already done all these things to you. What are you going to, what are we going to do? What are you going to do when we just beat you, pin you in the center of the ring? It's only up from here for the men of the year. Love a good rhyme, me, and they did too. Great, <laughs> great promo. If, what a fabulous little promo! I really enjoy this act now, having just thought this is baffling when the first got thrown together. Um, again, just a wonderful reminder that you should, in fact, trust the process. They've got a great chemistry together. Men of the Year is fantastic. I want them to go full GQ in their attire. Ethan Page is halfway there with these polo shirts. Like this has got legs. This act now, absolutely. Mm. Uh, something I both really enjoyed and really didn't enjoy came next for obvious reasons. Oh, Evil Uno challenged Miro for the TNT Championship. Heartbreaking this, but in the best possible way. Uh, Miro is stronger than Evil Uno. And that was the story early on. Just overpowered him, battered him. Uh, that noise, by the way, and I realised they did it again inexplicably in like the next match with uh, Nyla and, and Layla. I don't know why they did it back to back, but regardless, that noise when Miro swung for Uno on the outside and hit the post. I think I heard that here in Gateshead, not through the TV. It was so loud, like, gong! It was amazing. Um, so yes, that allowed Evil Uno to, to, to fight back a little bit. Cannibal sent on uh, onto, onto Miro, but Miro's you know, he's TNT champion for a reason. He was battering him. Uh, he hit a running shoulder block to send Evil Uno out to the floor. He didn't, nearly didn't make it in for a 10 count just from that. I say just from that and all the battering he'd received earlier. Uh, but Grayson, uh, Stu Grayson, Alan Angels run out and, and cheer him on and get him back in just at the nine point of the 10 count. Uh, Miro 
doesn't like seeing these two out there. So he goes out there, sends Grayson over the barricade, chases Angels, but that allows Uno to recover and fight back. He hits a jawbreaker. He lays in forearms. He hits a running Hurricane Rana. He hit a big boot, just like his his pal uh, Brody Lee. Climbed up to the top rope, sent on Atomico, and then Mira kicked out one because we aren't allowed to to have hopes and dreams. So out come the rest of the Dark Order, including Negative One. They're cheering him on from this stage. And uh, his anger, in his anger earlier, Miro has ripped off one of the turnbuckle covers. There's an exposed turnbuckle in there. He uh, he fights back. He goes to pin Evil Uno. Evil Uno kicks out and then pushes him off. That sends Miro into the turnbuckle. Uno realises this is his opportunity. They cheer him on. One, two... And then everyone, it's like it's like how everyone feels at home is displayed by the dark order of the oh no. And we all kind of know that was that was probably last the last chance. Evil Uno goes, No, I've got one more thing. I've got I've got Brody's Brody's discus lariat goes to hit it. Miro completely no sells it, nails in with a lariat of his own, locks on that game over, wrenches all the way back, and Evil Uno has no choice but to submit. A heartbreaking story. Perfect. Perfect stuff, this, from these two, I thought. Yeah, this was absolutely phenomenal TV fair, without obviously being a phenomenal match. I thought it was damn good. Um, but it was more of an end-to-end presentation than anything else. This was like the best... It's like the least questionable... Questionable heat segment, because you know for a fact that Negative One loves being there. He absolutely loves it. Hmm. Your knowledge of all of this means that they would never do anything like this if he wasn't buzzing about it. Um, Miro was like really close friends with Brody Lee. So all of this, to me, scanned as a loving tribute rather mm. than like awful kind of cheap heat that wrestling is usually such a just ghoulish purveyor of. This felt like a loving tribute um, that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like mm. this was a tribute that, in execution was anything but, but in fact, you can tell it definitely was. So they got the measure of the fiction, I think, perfect here. And it just makes Miro look like a completely heartless bastard. Hmm. In reality, you know, the complete opposite is true. But they got the match quality, they got the tone, and they got the heat. Like, this is just perfect pro wrestling TV, this. Um, Already this TNT run rules. Yeah, yeah, great, great stuff here. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if Evil Uno will be thanking uh, Johnny Hungy for giving him that birthday, well, his birthday present, effectively, off the back of that game over. But still, uh, we got a video package for Andrade El Idolo uh, of him putting on a very snazzy suit. Uh, he's going to be sitting down to chat with Jim Ross next week. So I'll talk more about that on next week's preview, this week's preview. Sorry, there's time difference. Days are all over the place. Uh, and then we got the interview, Kenny Omega and Don Callis. Uh, Don Callis um, and, uh, and Omega say, just like just like the band that sings his song, Jungle Boy, unfortunately, is a one-hit wonder for outlasting 20 men in the Casino Battle Royal. But, you know, he said, Omega, this is, said he's not going to act like Jungle Boy is some incredible challenger for the title. But he also can't bring himself to say anything disparaging about him. I mean, he literally just did by saying he's not a credible challenger. But, you know, I get what you're doing there. Um, Because he sees, you know, chiseled body, flowing locks. He sees a little bit of young Kenny Omega in himself there, in Jungle Boy there. Um, Look, one day, one day, pat on head, 
Jungle Boy might be a champion, but there's just something that Jungle Boy is missing. He turns to Don. He says, Don, you, you're better at these sort of things. What's he missing? And Callus looks down the camera and says, he hasn't got the guts. Jungle Boy's music plays, of course. He immediately comes out. Uh, Omega cuts this promo saying, I'm surprised you've come out here. We don't really know you as a promo guy. Look, I know you've got nothing to say. You haven't got the guts. Look, he said, Don, is anyone better on this mic than me? And Don parrots, no, of course not. He says, well, here's your chance, Jungle Boy. See what you can got. See if you can match me in this promo game. You got five seconds. And Jungle Boy just says, you talk way too much. Omega fakes leaving, goes to cheap shot Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy uh, avoids it, fights back. Omega rakes his eyes, but Jungle Boy fights out of that, goes to put Omega in the snare trap, out come the Young Bucks, and they uh, they just save him from the inevitable uh, torture of Jungle Boy's snare trap. Um, you were smiling throughout that. I sense you enjoyed this and the conspiracy we mentioned a little bit earlier. The conspiracy thing stuff. Here's the thing. Kenny Omega is playing this delightful, narcissist, delusional. He's in full megalomania mode to the point that he is just altering the events of reality to fit his own totally deranged narrative in his own head. That's classic heel stuff, but he's also articulating that in just hilarious ways. The, like, Mike Kurosawa directs, right? This was bad on purpose, like not meant to be credible on purpose. And yet just the idea of the camera shot they had of Callis celebrating, it's like he's not reacting to Don Callis being a dickhead and saving it for his baddie team. But it looked in that moment like the crowd was chanting for him because yeah. they like, yet, like altered the footage in that way. I thought that was tremendous. The, the subtitles on Bryce Remsburg were so delightfully stupid. I just don't like him. Yes. And Callis going, well, you're not being fair. Like that kind of stuff was just catnip to me. The thank you, Don Chance, was amazing. Thank you, Don, yeah. And what I liked about the actual segment, as functional as it was, is that it's going to build to something in the match itself. Kenny Omega, because he's completely lost his head in love with himself and he's completely disconnected from reality is that he's confused Jungle Boy's biggest attribute for a weakness. Like Jungle Boy has proven, even in losses, several losses, in fact, last year, he would kick out with loads of stuff. All of this stuff's on purpose. He would kick out with finishers. He would kick out of like really punishing offense. And then he would just get beat in the end. For Kenny Omega, he don't have any guts. It's a preposterous thing that's detestable for him to say it's so obviously wrong and people will want that to be proven wrong on the night and it's going to inform a goddamn massive massive swell of drama when Jungle Boy kicks out of the V-trigger and the fact that he kicks out of multiple V-triggers they are going to make you think on the night that he has the guts to kick out of the one-winged angel yeah I was about to say that yeah not going to happen but I'm going to think it's going to happen because he's got the guts to make it happen all of this is TV wrestling perfection yeah I just a re- real wave of like coolness, Jungle Boy's coming. I mean, it was obviously the way he was partially because of how he was received by that audience and the, the you know the way we know he was received off the back of Double or Nothing. But yeah, like 
it didn't feel like, oh, he's a you know younger guy that they're just going to put in a nice title match to give him a bit more experience in there with Kenny Omega. It's like, it, it's akin to, to, I don't know, a boxer taking on someone. And you go, yeah, I've realised that, you know, 99 times out of 100, you batter this person. But you take this guy lightly and, and he'll take your title away from you. Uh, I just really got that. And yes, it was nicely built in terms of Kenny Omega bigging this up as a potential promo of the year contender just for just for Jungle Boy to go, shut the fuck, mate. Yeah. <laughs> your own voice. Um, great, great stuff. And uh, yeah, Young Young Bucks jaw-jacking with Jungle Boys he left was, was very enjoyable as well. Uh, we got a promo from Jade Cargill and her new manager, Mark Sterling. Uh, Sterling said that Cargill's revenue was up 43% because they've gotten rid of the hangers-on and the bamboozlers. Jay Colgill has got a family to feed. Uh, they're ensuring she can feed them. They also get uh, recurring money, I think, when Cargill uses her catchphrase. And so she said it, I'm that bitch. What do you think of this pairing? I'm liking it more than I have been. Yeah. It's like, I like it when pro wrestling is outwardly accepting of the fact that it's pro wrestling. I like it when... They acknowledge well, the reason why we have promo segments and stuff because there's a fight to promote and it's all a bit of showbiz. So for that small key reason, I enjoyed the fact that they are monetizing her catchphrase. And the more she says it, the more PWT's money rockets up. Yeah, I quite like this. I didn't expect to like it at all. Uh, Lance Archer. Oh, there was the, there was the Scorpio Sky Ethan Page uh, response following that, and then it was Lance Archer versus some bloke who Lance Archer very kindly has shared the Twitter page of to get him some followers after he murdered him. He said he'd just woken up in the ER or something afterwards. But yeah, he came out, didn't mess about, attacked immediately, cut off a springboard, chokeslam, blackout, one, two, three. And I just, I, I, oh, I can't help myself. I watched that and went, maybe there's still hope for this this character. You know, I'm not bad-mouthing Lance Archer, it's just... The age-old, what Michael Hamlet says, some people die. No, everybody should die. It, this this just reminds you, though, of the, the thrill you first got when Lance Archer arrived in AEW, I suppose. Yeah, it was perfect in that regard. Like, how could you not think this was awesome? Hmm. Like, awesome in the strictest definition, definition. Like, you're watching a bloke, like, just kill another bloke, and he just looks like he's 10 foot tall. I'm not going to buy what they're selling when they try and put him in a major program, but I could probably watch Lance Archer do a squash like match like this every single week. They should create some kind of title for him. Yeah. The squash monster title. And he kills hundred pound skinny geeks every single week. And then maybe one skinny geek in about four years time can beat him. I'd watch this every week, but again, that's a facetious. I mean, it's half facetious. I would actually watch it but you don't know where he goes from here. And the, the interest isn't there, but like it's an isolated moment of TV. He just rules at this. Yeah, on a day where we have Monday Night Raw, I'm very tentative about using the phrase beat the clock challenge because of what's been going on on there recently. But yeah, I like that. Lance Archer's beat the clock challenge. If you can survive for two minutes, you can have the belt or the trophy or whatever it is no one ever even gets bloody close to it they don't even get into the second minute uh we've got a promo from the wingman next um ryan nemeth saying orange cassidy's poorly dressed let's say uh they said we'll give you a makeover either that either they can remake his wardrobe or says up and only can rearrange his face 
That's next week, I think, that one. Uh, and then we got Nyla Rose versus God bless you, God bless me, God bless Lil Hirsch. Um, the, uh, the match that I always <laughs> put down by doing a Donald Trump impression when Layla Hirsch, as she again demonstrated here, is a sensational wrestler. Uh, a weird dynamic in all of this, because obviously, yes, Layla Hirsch, babyface, Nyla Rose, heel, I suppose. But then also, Nyla Rose also babyface. Cont- I don't really know. I've realised that it's not, you know, it's not as black and white it is in other companies, but I'm intrigued to know what you made of that and then the Britt Baker promo that followed. Basically, um, you know, Nyla Rose has got all the power moves and Layla Hirsch keeps surprising her, uh, keeps getting out of stuff, getting like a cross arm breaker on, on uh, Nyla Rose. Uh, she got a release German suplex, a shining wizard, step up moonsault, but uh, thankfully Nyla Rose just grabbed the ropes to uh, to break up the count. Uh, again, Hirsch, uh, she did this a few times, went for the cross arm breaker, but Rose powered out with a one arm power bomb. Uh, Rose drapes Hirsch over the top rope to do that leaping knee thing that she does, but she's taking too long setting up. Hirsch recovers, they fight up top. Uh, Rose sends Hirsch to the mat. Hirsch recovers, gets up there, goes for a top rope Frankensteiner. But Rose just catches her, holds her there, and then lifts her up for an avalanche beast bomb. A victory for Nyla Rose. But yeah, what do you make of the dynamic to all this? The situational stuff's absolutely fine for me. Um, I'd rather situational alignments than like boring tweener stuff. Like, Parker's literally so transcendent. He's the only guy who can do that role for me, realistically. So I don't really mind that. I can understand why people would piss and moan. But, like, Cody, at Double or Nothing 2019, in one of the most iconic matches in modern wrestling history, played the heel and the baby face all at once. Like, this stuff can't <laughs> be done. This obviously wasn't anywhere near that. But I enjoyed this. It was a nice little lobbing bomb fest with, like, feats of physical prowess and like enduring them and overcoming them. And this is just a nice little fun bomb lob of a match. Mm. Um, like that avalanche beast bomb looked tits. Layla Hirsch's you're a little bit too little to be that powerful stuff is still completely charming. Mm. Um, yeah. Enjoy this as a match. I thought it was really nicely put together. Mm. Really well sold by, by Nyla Rose of just the frustration and surprise at, like you say, some of the stuff that Layla Hirsch is able to pull off. Uh, Britt Baker, though, cut a promo immediately afterwards with uh, uh, Rebel Reba and uh, Tony Schiavone. Uh, and she said, oh, she was angry, basically, about Nyla Rose obviously interrupting her championship celebration. But uh, nice that she could give her some some of the rub of, uh, of being associated with the champion, I suppose. And she also... Wasn't happy about Nyla Rose making fun of Layla Hirsch's height, something she'd she'd never ever do. Um, she says already. She says she's already the best champion in company history. Rose has got nothing. She's just another jealous bitch in the back. Uh, this title makes this title makes Nyla Rose, but Baker makes the title just like she makes the division. Yours truly, Doctor Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone did the finger thing as well. D M D. Wonderful. Yeah, she's great. And recovered from last week in what was kind of a theme of the night. Uh, main event time then. Uh, Hangman Page and Preston Vance taking on Team Taz this week. <laughs> this week and probably for the last time ever, represented by Brian Cage and Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, just a really enjoyable main event, this. And uh, yeah, that mask of Taz being a supportive leader of 
everyone in Team Taz slipped quite a lot on commentary here of him just constantly going, yeah, Brian Cage is good, but he, he could be better if he wasn't bloody doing all this stupid stuff. Um, yeah, initially, of course, Cage and Hobbs dominate. Look at the sodding size of them. Uh, they, they communicate well. They tag in well. Um, Hobbs comes in. There's an assisted powerbomb in there. Ten does get some offense in. Um, but he gets nailed with a knee lift as we go to commercial. Uh, Ten lands on his feet as we return from the break. Uh, lands on his feet on an F5 attempt. Takes out Page with a or takes him down with a pump kick. Um, Hobbs blind tags in, but uh, Ten takes him out with another pump kick, allowing him uh, to reach Hangman Page for the hot tag. He runs wild. Uh, moonsault press from Page to Hobbs gets a two count. Goes to the bookshot lariat, but Hobbs cuts him off with a running crossbody. That looks great, that did. Um, so Cage hits a tiger faint kick, but uh, sorry, Cage and Page, I'm getting so confused here. Cage Cage gets taken out. Uh, Page sorry, takes him out with a springboard. <laughs> I've, 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 my notes are all over the place. So it's, it's been a long old day. Uh, so 10 thankfully comes in at this point, hits a spine buster on Hobbs. Uh, Hobbs forces 10 into the corner. That allows Cage uh, to get tag himself in. He uh, lands a flurry of offense uh, and a high low uh, by, by him and powerhouse Hobbs. But uh, 10 still kicks out at two. Hook gets involved, jumps up on the apron, distracts the official, and Ricky Starks, the absolute beast that he is, throws Cage's uh, FTW championship. But Cage is like, we do, we're not doing this. Throws it away again. Taz, conniption fit on commentary. What is he bloody pay, playing at? And Ricky Starks embodies that because he's brave enough to jump up there and slap the taste out of Brian Cage's mouth. He gets chased to the back by Brian Cage, who, yeah, is understandably furious. But Taz is like, come on, mate, there's a match going on. Well, maybe I don't have one of one of your teams slap him in the, ma- in the mouth in the middle of the match. So Hobbs still fights on through. Great showcase for just the immense power of powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, he got a uh, two count, a really close two count, after he hit 10 with a spine buster in the bust of all this madness. Um, 10 hits a ripcord cutter. Page hits the bookshot lariat. And then 10 pins powerhouse Hobbs for the victory. And the Dark Order and Negative One celebrate with beer or waters as applicable as the show concludes. More developments for obviously another win, sorry, I should say, for uh for Hangman Page. But more problems for Team Taz Sitch. Yeah, what I really loved about this is that you knew the slap was coming, so much so that it feels like that relationship's completely falling apart. And the slap didn't feel like that relationship dissolving. It just felt like the next step of mm. everything totally falling apart. So it did advance to an extent, uh, but wasn't like some kind of shock. But what I loved about this, it was like another theme of the night was, right, let's just don't do a particularly landmark show that's going to progress loads of stuff, but just make it better and loads more fun. Hmm. So it's like, we'll do one more beat to this storyline. And at the same time, we'll just have a main event full of bombs just getting dropped and they're going to look spectacular. Really meaty, impactful, like entertaining. These guys are Big, they should be doing stuff like this kind of match. But with it being Hangman Page and him being so intelligent that you get a little bit more out of it. I loved the spot where he was about to get posted with the power bomb into the post, um, much like he did at Double or Nothing. Yeah. But he learned from that because he's clever and he's a baby face 
and he reversed it with character development as a spectacular move with Hurricane Rana into the mm. post instead. Love that little spot. There were some nice little bits of, again, you're massive. You shouldn't be doing a Tiger Fane kick. <laughs> I, love, I love feeling incredulous. Mm. Like a little incredulous mark of pro wrestling. So big dumb fun with a little bit of savvy intelligence behind it. Nice little TV main event. Yeah. To, cop up, to tap off what is a, a really enjoyable Dynamite episode as we've gone back through it again. I've enjoyed it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a return to form because the week before was like, really quite bad. Yeah, well, excited to see where they go next from here. Let us know your thoughts on uh, what you think they're going to do next and uh, what you made of this week's show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, We've got the Raw preview out now, the NXT TakeOver review. Uh, And, of course, later on this week, our AEW Dynamite preview will be coming your way. Please, God, let it get back on Wednesday night soon. Can't wait for July. I really can't. Right. This has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.